I want to uh, share with you uh, Easter weekend, uh, we broke a record attendance. Uh, because you invited your family and friends. We had uh, over 4,100 people for uh, Easter weekend. Uh, it is a beautiful thing to honor God by inviting people we love to his house. Uh, we are uh, doing our annual Prime the Pump. Uh, uh, but we've been vetting a orphanage in Uganda, and we finally got the, the vetting finished. And uh, this is what this orphanage is asking us for. They're not asking for iPads or uh, cell phones. They're asking for basic stuff, like clothes for children. Uh, uh, basic stuff like hygiene products. Uh, uh, this ministry uh, uh, saves these kids from the streets. They're, they're orphans. They have no one. And this uh, Christian ministry, they, um, they, 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 they literally save these kids' lives. And uh, they run an orphanage, and attached to the orphanage, they have a ministry to single moms because if they can help the single mom keep her family together, that keeps kids out of the orphanage. Uh, and it, it's our goal to uh, provide the orphanage uh, with $20,000 worth of supplies. Um, that sounds like a lot of money, but yesterday I was uh, talking to a a businessman friend of mine and his wife, and I was uh, explaining this orphanage program, and uh, he pulled out his checkbook and wrote a $5,000 check for this. So if there's any other people that I could talk to, and uh, I'd be glad to... Uh, 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 church, could, could, I, could I make one more appeal to you? Okay. This is a game changer for kids. And, and uh, isn't it worth postponing something, letting something go to make a, a major difference in, in, in an orphan's life? Yeah, I, I don't know if it is for you, but for me it is. And Sharon and I are doubling what we were going to put into the uh, Prime the Pump because we feel profoundly about uh, helping these kids. And uh, if, you, if you would join me on that, I'm certain, I am absolutely certain God will bless you for it. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, we face many challenges in life, and sometimes we face them poorly. And so we're asking you this morning to teach us what faith grit looks like so that we have new life skills to live with a persevering spirit through uh, difficulties and through life challenges. 
And I pray that we could learn this from the example of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus uh, had a group of people in front of him. And in that group of people were some religious leaders. These religious leaders, uh, they had a bad attitude about Christ. And Christ taught a parable. He said there was a, there was a man who bought a big piece of property. And he went out and staked it all out, and he planted a vineyard, row after row of uh, uh, vines. And then to keep his vineyard safe, he built a wall around it. And then to be able to uh, keep a watch on the whole vineyard, he built a tower that you could see the whole vineyard. And then he uh, put some help wanted ads in the local paper, and he hired some people to run the vineyard. And he made a deal with them. Their pay would be, they got a per certain percentage of whatever the vineyard produced, and because he was the owner, he got a certain percentage. And everybody agreed to it. And the man who built the vineyard uh, 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 went to do another business opportunity in another country. And at the right time, he sent some of his hired workers to the vineyard to get his cut of uh, the vineyard, like everybody had agreed. But when they got there, the people who were running the vineyard, they had a bad attitude, and they didn't want to pay up. And so they insulted the, they insulted the, uh, uh, the, the hired workers, slapped them around, and drove them off. And they went back to the owner of the vineyard and told him what happened. And he goes, wow, they think they're going to get away with that. They're crazy. He sent them some more people. They slapped these people around and drove them off. He sent them some more people. This time they killed one of them. And uh, he said... The only people these people are going to respect is, is my son. I'm going to send my son. And he sent the son. And somebody was watching in the tower, and they saw the son walking toward the vineyard. They came rushing out of the tower. They got all the workers together and said, Listen, the heir is coming himself. And if we kill the heir... The vineyard will be ours. And so when the heir came into the vineyard, they grabbed him, took him out the back side of the vineyard, and they killed him. And Jesus said, when the messenger came back to him and said, they killed your son that the owner of the vineyard hired an army, went and uh, uh, killed the uh, uh, people who had murdered his son, and he gave the vineyard to another group of people who would give him his cut in his time. 
And the religious leaders heard this parable and listen what they said. May it never be. They understood that Christ was talking about them in the parable. That the vineyard was life. And that God had given these religious leaders a great opportunity. And that they had not given back to God what was rightfully his. And he intended to take the vineyard away from them and give it to people who would give to him in time what belonged to him. Right after that parable, the, the, uh, the religious leaders got together and said, we're not going to put up with this guy. But we can't kill him unless we first discredit him because people think he's a prophet. So if the religious leaders just killed Christ and everybody believed he was a prophet, then the people would have turned on them. So they came up with this plan, we're going to discredit him, and then we can get rid of him. And their plan to discredit him was to ask him a question that no matter how he answered it, it would make him look bad. So they came up in their secret council, they came up with this question. Is it authorized to give Caesar tribute or no? You see, they believed if he says, yes, give Caesar tribute, it would make all the people unhappy because they hated paying tribute to the Romans. If he said no, uh, they could arrest him because he's conspiring against uh, the Roman occupation. And they really believed they had him. The problem is they underestimated the grit in Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you've heard grit as a psychological term. It means uh, the ability to persevere when things are, are difficult. It means you have some inner skills and you have some inner strength that when things get difficult, you persevere and you don't give up. And Christ had grit. He had what I want to call um, faith grit. Um, uh, Christ, again and again in the Gospels, he shows up. If you read the Gospels, uh, Christ is always in the game. He goes to another city and another city and another city. It doesn't matter who resists him. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what his opposition is. He just keeps showing up. And, uh, and, and an important part of faith grit is we show up. Uh, look, we, we show up in our family with faith grit. Your family's counting on you. you uh, this business of you getting unhappy with your family and checking out, that, you're never going to have any influence like that. Faith grit says, I show up. My family can count on me. 
It is my responsibility to have a good attitude. It's my responsibility to be a loving person. It's my responsibility to care for the people around me. And I show up. Can you hear me? If you don't have grit, what you end up saying is, I don't have to do the hard thing because they're this or they're that. Can you hear that? Have you ever told yourself that lie? I don't have to do the hard thing because they're this or they're that. Grit says, I don't make up my mind of what I am and what I do by what people around me are doing and not doing. I make up my mind about who I am and what I do by what I said I would be, church. Grit does not adapt itself to the lowest common denominator. A faith grit says, I have expectations about myself, and no matter how difficult things are around me, I'm going to live up to those expectations. Christ didn't just show up. Uh, Sarah shared this with us. Um, that you can also find some of this on our, our podcast, uh, Grotential. Um, most beautiful host of a podcast anywhere in America. Um, sitting next to the big dumb kid. <laughs> Christ showed up with poise, patience, and power. Would, would you mark that on your mind? Christ didn't just show up. He just wasn't physically present. He showed up with poise, patience, and power. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he told this parable against him, against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor." When Christ knew what these plotting people were doing, he still conducted himself with faith, grit, poise, patience, and power. I want to look at each one of these. Christ showed up with poise. What is poise? Poise is an inner self, an inner sense of competence. Now, nobody can answer this question. You have to answer it yourself. Uh, in your daily life, do you show up with an inner sense that says, I am competent for whatever I have to face today? No matter what happens at work, I'm competent. Things are going to happen I don't like. Things are going to happen that I, I, I do like. But I'm not facing the day from a position of, I'm just not sure I can handle one more thing, church. Poise is, I have an inner sense that I'm competent to handle whatever I have to face today. Poise is not just an inner sense, it creates an aura of well-being. People who have poise make the people around them more comfortable. You can tell when you're around someone with poise because your comfort level goes up. 
It's just the opposite. When somebody doesn't have poise and they're overwhelmed, you start feeling the tension in the room. Huh? All right. Finally, poise is a sense of healthy self-control. I'm going into this meeting. I don't know what's going to happen. But whatever happens, I have a healthy sense of self-control. Church, when Christ showed up and he knew these people were plotting against him, he had an inner sense of, I'm competent to handle whatever these nutcases are going to do. He had an inner sense of well-being that created an environment around him. And he certainly had a healthy sense of self-control. No matter how they act, I know how I'm going to act, and it's going to be with the noble spirit. Church, I think we need to follow Christ's example better on this. I think we need to show up with a sense of poise. You need to go to work with a sense of poise, a, a sense that God is in your life. He's going to bless you. He's going to help you. Uh, you, you, can, uh, you can handle whatever you have to handle uh, uh, this coming week. Uh, whatever problems your family is facing, uh, with Christ you are more than a conqueror. You can confront any family problem with poise. The second is Christ showed up with patience. Uh, I have read the Gospels hundreds of times, and I don't ever, I, I, there may be one spot where uh, Christ lost his patience, uh, uh, but it may be, uh, I'm just not reading that spot correctly. If he ever lost his patience, it only happened once. Uh, and I, I may not understand that pa passage correctly. In spite of everything Jesus confronted in his life, he had this incredible patience about him. Uh, patience is um, the inner tranquility to let things unfold naturally in life. When I'm not patient... I'm not letting life flow at the pace it wants to flow. I'm cranking it up. I'm saying, this is not going fast enough. i got to crank this up. Patience has an inner tranquility that says, life flows at the pace it's supposed to flow, and it's not my job to uh, rev everybody up to the red line on the tack in their life, church. Uh, patience says we can get everything done uh, if, we, if we do it in an, uh, in a, in an orderly way and uh, we don't have to stress everybody else around us uh, to get it done in five seconds. Church? Patience says I have an inner tranquility. I'm not going to interrupt you. I'm going to let you say what you need to say. Church? If I were Jesus, I'd have cut these guys off at the knees. I would have said, I know where you're going with this. Uh, church, so would some of you. I'm not the only uh, impatient soul in this room. Another word I like for patience is unrushed. Unrushed. 
uh, uh, if I'm not careful going through the day, there's like a little rubber. Remember those airplanes that had that you had the rubber band and you turned the propeller and you turned it enough and then that rubber band would get real tight and you could throw it and it would fly. I got that little rubber band in me. And all day long, it gets keep, it, 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 somebody's turning the propeller and I can feel that thing getting wrapped tighter and tighter and tighter. And if I'm not careful, I go flying off. Uh, uh, patience, uh, patience uh, lets the rubber band loosen. It has a strong sense of uh, 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 being unrushed. Finally, patience creates space for people to experience what is best in the situation and in us. You know what patience does? It creates enough space for people to have a good experience. When I am not patient, I don't create enough space for people to have a good experience. Can you hear this? In a conversation, if I'm not patient, I don't create enough space for let them to talk, and they don't have a good experience. Uh, it, it, this works in all kinds of human relationships. All right, now listen to this. Christ didn't show up with just patience, with just poise. He showed up with patience. When you read this story, Christ is unrushed. You, I can hear the tension in them. But in Christ, I hear this incredible patience. I know what you're doing. I see right through your silly scam. But he didn't rush anything. He had a higher purpose. Finally, uh, we show up with poise, patience, and power. When Christ showed up, he showed up with power. He showed up with the power of intentions. He intended to make a difference. Do you, do you have an intention in your life? When you go to work tomorrow, I'm going to make a difference. This place is going to be better because I work here. Church? Do you go to work with a sense of power? This company will be a better company because I work here. This office will be a better office because I work here. My home will be a better home because I'm going to do what needs to be done to make it a better home. Church? You see, grit doesn't wait for somebody else to do it. Grit says, by the grace of God, I'm competent to make a difference for good. Jesus showed up with the power to influence people. Every one of you in this room have influence with other people. Everyone in this room has influence with other people. Some of you have more influence, some of you has less. But everybody has influence in this room. The question is, do you have a gritty faith that causes your influence to be used in the kind of way that things get better around you? The third thing about Christ's power is, uh, Christ's power was always focused on the good. When Christ showed up, he showed up in power, and something good always happened. 
Can you hear this? He had a track record of making good things happen. So, in Jesus Christ, I see gritty faith. What is gritty faith? It's poise. It's patience. And it's power. And he is our example. And if we would start imitating Christ in our daily lives and saying, am I going into this situation with poise? What do I have to do to get my heart in the right place so I show up with poise? Am I going into this situation with patience? Am I not, am I going to be unrushed and I'm going to create enough space for people to have a good experience? Am I going into this situation with power? The belief that the goodness of God is going to flow through me in some way and things are going to be better because I gave my best self. Church? In greedy faith, we have to figure things out when they're difficult. Don't quit because it's hard. Church? Easy is quick. Hard takes time. And it requires grit. So, Jesus knows what's going on, but he lets things unfold. So they ask him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceives their craftiness. The intentions of the religious leaders were bad, but Christ is in the moment figuring it out, figuring it out, figuring it out. Their flattery was to cover their desire to harm him. But he heard through it, church. You know why? He's showing up with poise, patience, and power. And in that showing up with poise, patience, and power, he's figuring out what's happening in the moment. That's gritty faith, where you don't jump to any conclusions, where you don't quit, where you don't fly off the handle. You create space in which you figure out what is my opportunity to make something good out of this situation. Can you hear me, church? So in verse 23, there's an interesting, con there's an interesting uh, contrast. It says, Jesus perceived, there is the positive word, their craftiness, there is the negative word. Jesus showed up with a powerful sense of perception. They only showed up with a crafty scheme. Church, I'll take people who can figure it out over people who are trying to run some crafty scheme every day of the week. When people are deceptive and cunning, we must be like Jesus Christ and figure it out. This word for figure it out in the original text, it literally means to see through or to think my way through. They thought they had a great plan, but they underestimated Christ's ability to see through what they were doing and think two steps ahead of them. 
Church, do you know if you're gritty and you learn more gritty skills, more and more you will be ahead and not behind? You will be figuring things out. You will learn some analytical skills and you'll start seeing things more quickly because you've made it part of your approach to life. All right. I'm actually going to give you six questions. Um, if you don't have anything to write with, you can go, you can, uh, this sermon will be online. All right. If I want to figure it out, if I want to perceive, if I want to think my way through it, how do I do that? All right, I'm going to give you six questions. And you can use these six questions to start figuring stuff out in your daily life in a gritty way. All right, number one. Who is the one asking the question? Who is the one presenting the problem? Who is the one that's uh, creating the issue in this moment? Okay, in Christ's case, there were people who came to him, but they really weren't the problem. They were just spies or representatives of the problem. Do you see? This is important. In life, often, there is the presenting problem, and then there is the problem behind the problem that is the real problem. Do you know what I mean? When I have to confront something difficult, I say to myself, who, who, is, the, who is the source of this issue? Who is the real source of this issue? Where is this coming from? So in Christ's question, he figured out this really didn't have anything to do with the people who were asking him the question. It had everything to do with the religious leaders. Now he's starting to perceive. All right, second question. Why did they ask it? Why did they ask this question? Uh, why is this person creating this issue? And usually this falls into two categories, because it's a real problem for them, or they hope to use this issue to uh, 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 gain something they want in a uh, uh, secret or secondary kind of way. Do you see? Who and then why are they asking this question? Why are they creating this issue? If it's really a problem, then we can drill into that. If they're just using this issue to advance something else, that's altogether different. Are you thinking with me? Three. What do they intend to do with my response? I'm trying to think my way through. I'm trying to perceive. When I respond to the question, or I respond to the issue, what do they intend to do with my response? All right. Some people will take your response, and they will process it, and it will become part of their thinking. Other people have no intention at all. Uh, they just want you to stop talking long enough for them to talk again, and your answer doesn't mean anything to them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I want to ask myself in these issues, what, will they, what do they intend to do with what I have to say? If they intend to use it in a healthy way, I'm going I'm to fully engage. 
if this is all just uh, them running a scam, I don't intend to cast my pearls before the swine. Church, I'm going to figure it out. And these questions help me do it. Uh, four, when they said to Jesus, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or no? I want to make sure I understand what the word lawful means. Because it's really not the word that is commonly translated with law. It's the word that is commonly translated with something that is a little less than law. Is it authorized? It's not, they weren't asking, is it legal to pay tribute? What they were saying is, is it, um, is it authorized in our, in our culture? It was more of a cultural question than it was a, a legal question. Do you see? They're, they were asking a cultural question. And church, as you have come to learn, just like me, cultural questions are always loaded. You can get canceled in a second for one sentence that is said wrong about a cultural question. We have to be perceptive. Amen? Fifth question. Is there any difference between tribute and tax? Uh, commentaries are all over the place on this, but I will tell you there are two different vocabulary words. It's not the classic vocabulary word for uh, tax. It is uh, it's, uh, something other than your standard uh, uh, income tax. It's maybe um, uh, sales tax or I don't know. But the Romans had all kinds of tricky ways of getting money just like the American government. All right. <laughs> Six. Was this allegiance or defiance to Caesar? The people who were asking the question, was, were, they, were they defiant to Caesar or were they uh, uh, aligned with Caesar? All right. The person who's causing the problem, where are their allegiances? Uh, the person who's creating the issue, where is their first allegiance? If their first allegiance is to things that I think are valuable and important and meaningful, I'm gonna, I, I, that's going to be good part of my processing. If their first allegiance is to something that I don't feel is profitable, that's going to affect me figuring this out too. Can you see? All right. Uh, with these six questions, you can start to figure things out in the very same way Christ did. All right, grit requires that you do it. The problem is these six questions make me have to think and work. And sometimes it's just too easy to just respond, right? I'm not going to do the hard work of perceiving and figuring it out. I'm just going to respond. And then we lose, uh, we lose influence. Uh, we, 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 lose, uh, we lose friends. We, we, all right. Gritty faith thinks through the issue and finds the best options. That's exactly what Jesus did. He thought through the issue 
and he provided the best option. When Christ figures it out, he influenced people with his answer, his true answer. So Jesus hears their question. He figures it out, and now he knows what to do. He says, show me the coin you pay your tribute with. Somebody reached in their pocket and dug around a little bit, and they found a uh, coin. It was a Roman denarius. This is much cooler. <laughs> Silver dollar. And Liberty Lady is a lot better looking than Caesar, I might add. And he said, whose face is on that coin? And whose inscription is written on that coin? United States of America, e pluribus unum. And they said, Caesar's. And listen what he says. Then, don't you think it would be smart to give to Caesar what is Caesar's? But he doesn't end there. He said, and by the way, you remember my parable about the vineyard? You remember the problem with the parable of the vineyard? People didn't give to God what was God's. So now Jesus ups the ante. He answers their question, if it's Caesar's coin, then don't you think uh, 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 you ought to give to Caesar what is Caesar's? But while you're giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, remember you have a higher obligation and you got to give to God what is God's. Church. Now, some of you have the idea that Jesus just miraculously did this. All right. Uh, Christ was a perfect man, and he used skills of a perfect man. This answer is not a miracle. It is a smart man figuring things out and giving a good answer. Can you hear this? Don't say, I can't do that. I'm not Jesus. I can't come up with miracle answers. I don't think Jesus did a miracle to find this answer. I think he did the hard work of figuring it out in the moment, and because he had the skill to do it, he gave the exact answer they needed to hear. Church? Gritty faith finds a way to point people to God. Can you see this moment? They're there to discredit Christ. They're there to make him look bad. They're there to bring an accusation against him. And Christ is figuring it out so that he gets to turn the table and focus their attention off their foolish plotting and scheming and saying, by the way, remember what you owe God. That's pretty brilliant, church. And then the paragraph ends with, and they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Christ's gritty faith prevails. Church, you can make a difference in the world. There is something of the life of Christ in you. 
And if you would develop a gritty faith like Jesus Christ did, you would be surprised what God would be able to do with your life everywhere you go. We can make good things happen in our broken world, but we need gritty Christ-like faith to do it. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the life of Christ. Thank you for the example he gives us. Thank you for his wisdom. And I pray that each one of us could have a sense of becoming more like Christ with this gritty faith. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.